Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way. James chapter 5. James chapter... (laughs) I've got the cutest little one row of people right here, stacked end to end, and a sea of blue before you get to them. Most of, if I could get Miss Peg and Brother Andy to put a red coat on, you guys would be set. They didn't have one for you? (laughs) Miss Linda, that ain't no way to do nobody. (laughs) (laughs) James chapter 5. James chapter 5. The wickedness of riches. The wickedness of riches. Riches. We, we come to this final chapter, this final fifth chapter of the book of James, and, and then we'll be moving on from James, uh, probably sometime in late January, maybe early February, depends on how quickly we navigate through uh, this fifth chapter. But as we get into this final chapter, I want to take just a moment uh, to reflect on some of the ideals that we have looked at in this epistle uh, and this series that we have titled Faith in Action. We have seen that that James, really, in this epistle, is calling us to several tests of our faith. Uh, He's giving us insight into how we examine our faith, how do we look at ourselves, how is our faith played out, how are we living our faith where we're at. Uh, And James, really, in this series of tests, calls us to look at ourselves, ask ourselves the question, am I living the way a believer ought to be living? And if I am not, then why? It calls us to ask ourselves that question when we look to what James says. He, he's writing to scattered and persecuted believers. He's writing uh, to, to the group that had been scattered out. And, and so we know that he's writing primarily to believers. And so it relates to us in the same way. He's called us in this epistle to look at ourselves in light of how we respond to trials, how we respond to temptations, how we respond to equality and and racism, and how do we respond when the Word of God is presented to us, and it's contrary to what we may have believed before having the Word of God presented to us. So when the Word of God is presented and proven to us and shown to us and interpreted for us, how do we view that? Are we angry? When the word of God brushes against us or are we humble and willing to change when we have the word of God presented uh, to us? And so we've really been asked to check ourselves at each of these tests and I hope that you've been challenged along the way as you've heard it as much as I have been challenged preaching through these first four chapters. Tonight is going to be no different. We're going to be challenged again by James. We're going to be challenged on a subject that is... Well, quite difficult for a lot of people. Quite difficult, really, if we're being honest, it's a subject that I think we have all struggled with at different times, and that is the subject of money and riches and our attitude in regards to our money and our riches. So please stand this evening for the reading of the holy words of our holy God from James chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Come now, You rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded. And their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. 
You have heaped up treasure in these last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Seboth. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury, and you have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Let us pray. Father God, God, we pray that you would be magnified, that your word would be presented properly, and that your people would be changed. God, use your words to move us closer to you, Lord God. Sanctify us even now. And God, we will give you the praise and the honor and the glory for all you do. And all God's people said, and you may be seated. Now, there's six verses there. Tonight, we're really going to focus on the first three verses in the interest of, of time. To take all six verses would have been an extremely long message. So we're going to kind of, kind of break it down much the same way as we did when we preached through the tongue. We kind of split it in half so that we could give each message its own due time. And really, these first six verses here in James chapter 5 may be the most pointed rebuke that James gives in his whole letter. Really the most uh, scathing and, and, and kind of tearing down of someone that we see from James. He, he talks about garments being moth-eaten and, and, and corrosion eating and, and eating your flesh like a fire. And, and you know what I mean? He really is strong in his language as he speaks to us here. And he's talking about the rich, those with an improper attitude towards treasures, those with an improper attitude towards their monies. You might say that we're living in a time where we see the love of money and the love of riches play out so often. We see the corruption that is caused from a wicked love of riches. We see folks do things that they never imagined that they would do and become things they never imagined that they could become because of a love of money and a love of riches. We have seen uh, in, in, in public eye, in politics, in uh, leadership of businesses all across the news, I dare say you can't go a week. If you watch the 6 o'clock news every night for a week, I dare say you won't get through a week before you see that someone has either embezzled or stolen or cheated or done something to get themselves in trouble when it comes to their love of money. And I guarantee you, if you went to that person before they did it, they would never dream that they would be capable of doing that. Very few of these people set out and say, I think I'm going to go embezzle some money. It just kind of their love of the wicked treasure begins to get the better of them. We see it all the time in ministry today as, as church clerks and church treasurers and pastors and deacons and, and different people that have been put in charge of money and the churches begin to, to, to kind of scrape money off the top. And they're, they're, they're good people, I'd say, had you asked them before they did it, every one of them would say, no way that I would ever do that. No way that I'd ever be caught up in that. They, money and the love of money causes people to do things that they never, ever, ever dreamed that they would do. And so James is calling us to look at ourselves and call our attention to the way that we handle and view our riches and view our, our, our kind of take on money. And James is really pointing out to us 
that it's another in our tests of our faith. How do you look at money? What's your attitude when it comes to your riches? And really, James is making a bigger picture, right? The same way he did with your tongue. He said, the way you speak, the way you talk to other people, the way you talk in general, the way you use your tongue... Yes, the tongue is a mighty tool. Yes, the tongue causes many problems. But the tongue is what? A reflection of the heart. Out of the mouth comes a reflection of the heart. And James is telling us here that the way you view money and the way that you have an attitude towards your riches is really a reflection of your heart condition and what's on the inside. And and so James gets into this. But this isn't a test that James came up with all by itself, is it? James is really using a test of our faith that Jesus used. If you'll remember when we introduced this series, we said that that the the series, the book of James, he spends a lot of time as a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. So he takes the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount and he begins to break them down for us in our lives. And this is no different here. Matthew 6, 19 through 21 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that we're not to lay up treasures here on earth where the moths could eat them and the rust could take them. And he says, we're to store them up for our riches in heaven and what does he say where your treasures are there your heart will be also where your treasures are there your heart will be also and so what we really see is this if you want to know where your heart is is your heart resting in Jesus is is your heart resting in world all you have to do is find your treasure Find your treasure. What do you treasure? Is it Jesus or is it your riches and your monies and your things? Now, I do want to make sure that that we understand. I am not preaching and James is not writing and Jesus was not saying on the Sermon on the Mount that wealth in and of itself is bad. That's not what the suggestion is. We We shouldn't go... Uh, empty our bank accounts and live homeless for a while because Brother Jason said that, J- that the James says we're not supposed to have anything. What I'm talking about is, is not wealth in and of itself. I'm talking about the attitude of how you view your wealth and the perversion of taking that which is a blessing from God because it's all a blessing from God, isn't it? Whatever we have is a blessing from God. And so taking that which is a blessing from God and, and abusing it and worshiping it to our own ends, making that which was given to us by God our God. That is kind of the attitude that we're looking up here. And James opens up in verse 1, and he he has this statement, Come now, and you'll remember that that we said that would be like James kind of getting out on the edge of the pulpit and saying, All right, sit up straight and and listen up. I want you to hear what i got to say. He says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for miseries that are yours, They're coming upon you. So he's saying they're your miseries. They're coming to you, rich man. Those of you with a bad attitude about money, it is coming. Now, I want to make sure that we define the wealthy real quick. Because I know that that some of you were inclined when I talked about, come now, you rich. Some people were were inclined to say, well, I don't have any money. So apparently this message is not for me. I'm, I'm broke. I don't have any money in my wallet. I couldn't give any money if they took it up tonight. And so here's, here's kind of the biblical idea of, of rich. If you have more than you need, 
then you have discretionary money. You have extra money and you're rich. So if you have exactly what it takes for you to get by, then you don't have any discretionary money. But if you have more than you need, you're rich. Now, I'm pretty sure that in the, in the house of the Lord tonight, most of us could say we have more than we need. Most of us have a lot of what we want. Now, because we want a lot of things, we don't have everything we want. But we have a lot of what we want. And so James is saying, those of you who are rich and abuse these riches that God has given to you, you should weep and howl. That word for weep literally means to sob out loud or lament like in mourning for the dead. So if you have abused your monies, if you have an, a, an attitude where your money has become your God and your riches have become your God and you start to worship them, instead of worshiping God, you start to follow them and put your treasure in your riches, James is writing to us and saying what you need to go ahead and start doing is wailing and crying and sobbing out loud because misery is coming your way. There is a misery that is coming that you have earned with your attitude. That word for miseries is only used in one other place in the entire writ of Scripture, and that's in Romans 3.16 in a series of verses talking about trouble over trouble, wretchedness, and overwhelming distress. That's what all of that section of that chapter is about. It's talking about an overwhelming distress. And so James is writing and saying these miseries that are coming are going to overwhelm you. He doesn't tell us exactly when it is, but he leaves no doubt that the misery is coming. James is, is kind of crying out that judgment is inevitable for those of you who don't have the proper attitude when it comes to your riches. You know, God blesses us, and more often than not, if we're being honest, he blesses us with much more than we actually need. And the theme of Scripture is that we would use that additional blessing for his glory for his kingdom so what do you mean by that brother Jason well I believe that God provides for us financially for a few reasons that we see in scripture first Timothy 5 would tell us that first we're to take care of our families God provides for us that we might provide for our families in fact in first Timothy 5 he says if we don't provide for our families we are worse than an unbeliever if we don't provide for our families. But in that same chapter, he also commands us to not only take care of our families, but then we're to take care of the widows and those whom we know who are in need of care. And so we should be banding together and lifting up those who are in need, those who have been placed in our lives. We should take care of our families, and then we should take care of those around us. We're not meant to hoard up our monies. That's not what God has blessed us for. Now, I am not saying, please, 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 nobody write Dave Ramsey a letter and say, my preacher said your emergency fund was stupid. That's not what I'm saying. 
I'm not saying that you shouldn't have an emergency fund in case you lose your job. I don't want you to lose your house. That's part of taking care of your family is being prepared. But what I am saying is when you just hoard it up and you miser over it and you just you hold it back and you don't have a purpose for it, you just don't want anybody else to have it. God has blessed you with that. You should be taking care of your family. You should be taking care of the others that are placed in your lives. And then you should be building the kingdom of God. Doing something to reach the lost, to give to the missions efforts such as Lottie Moon or some of the other missions efforts that we do through the year. Our blessing from God is meant to be used. It's not something that he gives us that we might store it up. And in in verse 2, he begins to, to speak to us about that. Look at verse 2 with me. It says, your riches, they are corrupted. Your garments, they are moth eaten. Your gold and silver, they are corroded and so when he speaks there he's he's talking about riches and anytime that we see that phrase for your riches really it's talking about the the biblical idea of those who would store up their grains in their storehouses and they would just store them up and store them up and you remember the biblical story of the man who filled his barns up and then he did what he built more barns and he filled them up And so that was the idea. Those who had a lot of land and had a lot of barns, they would store up their grains, they would store up all their food, and their idea wasn't that they would have it so that everybody in the land would have food. Their idea is that they would have it so they could kick back later and not have to do anything, or they could capitalize when everybody else ran out of food. They would have some that they could sell them. They would have all these barns of grain, and I don't need any more, and now I can kick back. But James says, your riches are corrupted. And that word for corrupted literally refers to decaying and rotting. And so he's saying to store up and hoard all of these riches as if they're going to be there forever. Well, that's pretty silly because they could rot and they could be gone. And you've wasted all of that sitting in a barn when it could have been used to glorify God and be used to build his kingdom. You're hoarding it up is useless. But then he says, your garments are moth-eaten. And he's talking there, you know, it was in that time, your garment said a whole lot about you. Now still, to this day, I think we get caught up in that a little too much here 2,000 years, well, probably about 1,800 years later, we still get too caught up in the outside garment being how we measure a man or how we judge a person. Too often, we still do that. Oh, that man has a, a, a nice suit on. That man has a nice outfit on. He must be a wealthy man. He must be a good man. That man looks pretty unkempt. He must be a bad man. We kind of pass that judgment too often. But as much as we might do it now in that day, your garment was a serious symbol of the amount of money that you had and and what kind of person you were. And so they would have these robes with these outer garments that were lined with silk or the purple linens. They would have the inner garments and they would spend an, an, an incredible amount of money getting these garments put together. And so James is saying all this garment that you're putting together and and having and and making and spending all this money on, what's going to happen? It's going to be eaten by the moths. 
It's going to disintegrate. It's going to turn into just a piece of cloth with holes all in it and no longer be valuable. And there you are having spent all that money to make yourself look rich. And it's just going to go away. Wouldn't it have been far better to have used it to glorify God in some way? And then he goes on further. He says, your gold and silver, they are corroded. And that time, the coin of the day wasn't made of pure metal. And so it would have an alloy in it. So when it was given to certain elements or stored up for too long, what happens to an impure metal when it's stored up to the elements? It begins to corrode, does it? It begins to rust. He says, your, your, your silver and gold, all your coins, well, they're just going to corrode anyway while you sit on them. And really, the idea that James is, is pointing out to us here is, how foolish is it to hold and hoard all of these things when they're just going to rot away and be gone? They don't amount to anything in terms of eternity. And so why would you do that? And I think James is calling us to ask ourselves that question to ourselves even tonight. What are we clinging to? Where is our treasure? Is our treasure in our bank accounts? Is our treasure in our 401k? Is our treasure in uh, our, our clothes that we buy? Is our treasure in our status symbol? Is our treasure in our um, financial security? Is that what we're clinging to? Or are we allowing that to drive and discipline our lives, the next advancement in the career, the next move up the ladder, the next move financially, or is our treasure in God? God, I'm going to do what you say, I'm going to obey you, and I'm going to use the blessings that you give me to glorify you, whatever that means. Whatever that means. Now again, I'm not saying that it's wrong to have a 401k or a retirement plan, but I'm saying we should not ever have an attitude where we begin to worship our money and our riches in place of God. We begin to allow them to steer our decisions when God should be who we seek to obey and who we seek to follow. And so we ask ourselves, are we worshiping these things or are we worshiping God? And if we're worshiping these things... Look at what James says, because these things still apply today. If you're storing it all up, storing all your riches up, you're storing up and you're, you're spending all this money to try and look a certain way and be a certain way, and you're putting it all behind, what are you going to do? Because it can all go away just like that. We talked about it this morning. You can put all the money in the world in the stock market and watch it go away, and guess what? In a moment, you lost it all. But an eternal security is found in Jesus Christ, not financially, but eternally in a different kind of security. So James goes on in verse 3, and he's really fun in verse 3. Think about what he says. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. Anybody else enjoy that? Your corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. What in the world is James talking about? 
eating my flesh like fire. That does Surely, Brother Jason, that is some kind of analogy. Surely that's some of that uh, uh, picture language like is used in Revelation where that's not really what James is talking about. It's corrosion eating us like a fire. Well, kind of. But it is a picture of when you stand before God at judgment. When you stand before your creator at judgment. And you have been one who had the wrong attitude and worshipped your riches and worshipped your monies. And that creator that you stand before has never been your God. Because your money was your God. That corrosion, that rust that creeps up from that money will eat your flesh like fire. When he says, depart from me, I never knew you. We spent a lot of time this morning talking about, well done, my good and faithful servant, right? Unfortunately, we're going to spend a little time this morning looking at the idea that sometimes he has to say, depart from me. I never knew you. You'd be cast into the lake of fire, and then all of that worship of all of that money and all of that corrosion will begin to eat at you. And this reminder of hell should be a clear picture to all of us that the love and the worship of money is a serious reflection of a heart condition. James is not pulling any punches when it talks about our money. He's not using this lighthearted. He's not any kind of slapstick comedy. James is telling us that your attitude about money is a clear reflection of your salvation and whether or not you know the Lord. And you stand in real peril, a very real punishment if you don't get that attitude in check and come to know Jesus before it's too late. He closes this verse. He says, you've heaped up treasures in the last days. So what are the last days? Well, the last days are the days that we're living in now. He said, well, how do you know? Nobody knows when he's coming back. I don't know when he's coming back. I know that he's coming back. And so I know that the last days began when he ascended into heaven. And I know the last days will end when he comes again. So I don't know how long it's going to be. But I know that that's the age that we're living in. We're living in the last days. From the coming of Christ the first time to the coming of Christ the second time. And so James says, here we are in the last days. And it's really a picture that should remind us of the truth that, that, is, that is right there. I don't care how many books have been written by how many people that are supposed to be geniuses that claim that they have cracked the mathematical code to Daniel 8's prophecy or Revelation 14's words and decided that Jesus is coming back on Y2K. Oops, we missed it. It's going to be 2020. Oops, we missed it. It's going to be 1944. You know, there have been so many people that have picked a day and they've all been wrong. But, but, James is pointing out to us something that we should never fail to remember. We don't know when it is, so it could be in just a minute. Would you agree with me? We don't know when it is. It might be 500 more years. It might be 5,000 more years. It might be before we say our final amen tonight that Jesus comes back and the last days are over. And if your attitude about money has not been put in check and your salvation has not been made correct, 
in the end of those last days, it's going to be too late. And what are all those treasures that you lay up? What are they good for? What are they good for? It's not like you can lay them up for a while and you have a date set and you know what? Well, at such and such date, I need, to, I need to start acting right. God says now is the time to get these things straight. We live in a time where we see people who call themselves Christians having much more regard for their bank accounts and their extra houses and their cars than they do for supporting the ministry of the Lord and glorifying God with what he's blessed them with. Winning lost souls to Christ, expanding the kingdom. They say they're believers, but seem to support every other idea with where their treasure seems to be. And James is really pointing out to us in these first three verses that we are living in the last days. We don't know when it's over. We don't know when he's coming back. And we need to look at what our attitude is in, in response to our riches and how do we view our monies. And we need to get it right. Because if we don't, we stand in the peril of a very real judgment. A very, very real judgment. Let us pray. Father God, Lord, God, we come to you and we recognize that Sometimes as we study through the Bible, we have to deal with a passage that hits us in our pocketbook, Lord God, a place where we want to cling, a place where we want to control, and ask us, what is your attitude? Do you honor God with your attitude towards money? And if you don't, why not? If you're a believer and you struggle, Tonight is the night that you would come and lay it at the feet of Jesus. If you've never gotten your attitude right because you've never surrendered to God, tonight's the night that you come to know Jesus. God, use your word to change us. That we might have a proper attitude when it comes to our riches. And recognize that our true riches are found in you, Jesus. God, we love you. We thank you, and it's in your sweet name that we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you, and have a blessed day.